continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might, sorry, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good scripture reading. Oh, good morning, church. In case I haven't met you already, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I guess I'll start off our time with a question. And you're the 830 service, so you like answering questions. So um, 1030 ask question, it's like hitting a wall. But anyway, um, the 830 service, if I ask you this question, not rhetorically, but literally, uh, what is, how would you answer this? Uh, what is prayer? Or what, what is prayer? Yes, Juanita? Sorry? Conversation with our Heavenly Father? Yeah. Okay. Listening to God. Hmm. Okay. Respecting His words and following His words? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, in the 1800s, there was a famous evangelist by the, by the name of Dwight Moody. Some people know him as D.L. Moody. And he used to travel all around the known world and share the gospel. And one time he went to Scotland and he had an opportunity while he was in Scotland to actually speak at a primary school. Kind of like, you know, some of the people going to schools today, right? SRE. And so here he is though, he's in this school. It's a whole assembly, it's packed out. And he asks all these young primary school children, he says, children, but he's asking it rhetorically. Because he's, you know, he's, a, he's presenting to a whole group of people. He goes, what is prayer? And to his surprise, all of their hands, ooh, you know, hundreds of hands. Oh, dear, what are we? <laughs> uh, okay, um, yes, little, little, little lad in the front here, to which little Scottish lad stands up. <laughs> kind of adjusts himself and he says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confessions of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. <laughs> now, how do you think he responded? Sit down, you little show off. You know, no, he didn't, he didn't do that. No, he, he knew, well, okay, where's this little boy getting that answer? Well, he's getting it from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 98, which says, what is prayer? And at this time in Scotland, parents are taking seriously the command to raise their children, to educate, to indoctrinate their children in the things of God. So which Moody responds to this little boy Son, thank God that you grew up in Scotland, right? Because at this time, that is just everywhere. But the, the, the idea of prayer is 
when I ask that question, what is prayer? It is critically important. No one would disagree with that. In fact, prayer has been said to be the language of the Christian life. So what I want to do today is sort of basic with the text that's before us. As we dive into the text, I want us to ask a simple question. And that is, how should we pray? And then followed up to that, what should we pray? So how should we pray and what should we pray for? Pretty simple, right? So verse 2, how to pray, if you want an outline. Verses 3 and 4, what to pray. Verse 2, how to pray. Verses 3 and 4, what to pray. And then finally, we'll be reminded how to behave with the watching world, as it were. How are we to walk? How are we to talk around non-Christians? And that's where Paul sort of brings in those couple little points at the end there. So that's where we're headed for this morning on this Lord's Day. Let's, um, as we talk about prayer though, how about we pray, eh? Let's pray. Gracious God, please give to us the illumination of the Holy Spirit so that we can see the truth, know the truth, feel its force, trust your grace, and live in new obedience. Do this, please, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, have you ever sat in church before and the pastor says, you know, you really ought to pray more. Maybe he's not that crass. But that's basically the message of his talk for that day. And you're feeling sort of guilty going, oh, gee, he's right. I have to pray more. And then you get in your car and once you leave the car park, that's sort of as far as it goes. Maybe, you know, five minutes of guilt or, you know, whatever. Thankfully, Paul doesn't actually do that. Um, Paul, he encourages the Colossians and all of us to pray, but he doesn't leave us sort of hanging there or, or do sort of a, I call a drive-by guilting on us. He, he, he gives us three practical ways that we are to pray, actually. It's right there in verse two. If you look at Colossians chapter four again, come with me again to verse two. He says, Colossians 4, two, notice, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So there's three ways, if, if you missed them, three ways which we're to pray. Right? He tells us to pray consistently, carefully, and cheerfully. Now, you can think about it as a triple C there if you want to help remember what that is. We all know the radio station Triple J. Maybe, wow, maybe in the 830 service you don't know that radio station, but um, the 1030 will. But Triple, I like Triple J anyway, that's another, but... Um, I like, it makes me feel young. But um, triple C, 
triple C, right? So let's look at this first C, and that is this idea of consistently. Look at the phrase that he says. If you notice there in verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, right? This is where I get the word consistent. Um, we are to pray often. There is to be a pattern of prayer in our life. Have you ever, during the wintertime, have you ever gone down to Avoca Beach or, or any beach really, and when there's a big swell, you can see waves. There's a pattern of waves that just roll in one after the other, right? It's consistent. Paul's saying our prayer life should reflect something like that. Again, it's easy to hear a sermon on prayer and to sort of feel guilty for five or ten minutes but not really do anything about it once you leave the car park. Or it's easy to hear a sermon on prayer and, and get a little bit ahead of yourself and say, oh, you know what? You set unrealistic goals. That's it. This week, I'm going to get up at the crack of dawn every day and I'm going to pray my brains out. You know, my knees are going to be bloody at the end of this week, you know, because I'm just going to be on my knees all week long. Well, hey, look, that would be awesome. But how about you just start with five minutes a day? Okay? And this is not unspiritual. Put it in your diary. Because often when you don't plan something, you don't really do it, do you? So put it in your diary. And that way you're not spotty. That way your prayer isn't sort of random and ad hoc. And that way you're actually praying things, thanking God, and it's consistent. It's not just sort of this zero, zero, zero prayer where, oh, oh God, my whole life's off the rails and falling apart, and, and that's basically the only time you pray. But you're actually like communing with God on a regular basis, thanking him, thinking about, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not just sort of when you're at the end of your rope, so to speak. And it's not just random. And when you pray, do this, try doing this, write it down. You'll find that you, we get into really poor habits where we pray the exact same stuff again and again and again. Or if try speaking out loud, you might find you know that 90% of your prayer is, oh, Father God, thank you, Father God, thank you, Father God, for this day, Father God, and oh, Father God, and it's just the same stuff. Write out your prayers. Here's a, here is a great way, if you want to look at some good prayers, look at some of the prayers of the Puritans and the Valley of Vision. I've, I, I have recommended that book several times. It's a, it's a compilation of Puritan prayers. Man, these dudes could pray. Unbelievable. So Valley of Vision, you can get that as a template to use and say, okay, this can help. This is just a very consistent, a pattern of prayer. The point is this, is that when you pray, you're to get into a pattern of it, into a habit of it. It's, it's to persist in it. That's what, that, that's what Paul is saying. So the manner in which we're to pray is consistent, but then also careful. Now, where am I getting that? Well, look at the expression he uses in verse two again. He says, being watchful in it. Now, what does that mean? Now, this has the idea of being awake and alert. Awake and alert. But what if I told you, what if I told you that Jesus Christ is coming back in glory tomorrow at 4 p.m.? 
I know, I know, no one knows the hour of the day. I know. But let's just, for argument's sake, let's just pretend that we got the memo. Wyoming Church of Christ. Right? Jesus is coming back in glory tomorrow, Monday, 4 p.m. How do you think you'd spend, say, the next 24 hours? Would you, would, would you go home and take a nap? Would you, you know, maybe just sort of hang, hang sorry? Wipe off the pastor, no, thanks. You know, would you um, spend the afternoon sort of flipping the channels, you know? Would you watch Netflix? Well, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully you'd understand that you have people in your life, friends, loved ones, who aren't ready, who actually are going to be judged at the Lord's return. And so what are you going to be doing? You're going to be getting in your car. You're going to be jumping on the phone, right? You've got to have to tell these people, hey, you've got a short window of time, man. Jesus is coming back. And so your mind would be alert. It would be sharp, razor sharp, focused. Your prayers would be razor sharp and focused. That's the kind of posture we're to have in prayer, you see. Because here's the reality. I know it probably seems sort of unreal because our life gets consumed in the moment, but Jesus could come back like that. Any second, really. His return is imminent. The, and this is what Peter says. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. See, our prayers are to be consistent. There's to be a pattern of it, but there's to be this sense of, of urgency and vigilance and, and feeling the weight of, of how short life is and that people need to hear the gospel. So our prayers are to be consistent, careful, and look at the other see here, and that is cheerful, cheerful. So notice what he says again, Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, notice, with thanksgiving. Let's be real though. When you pray, and it appears that nothing happens, and you keep asking God for something again and again and again, and it appears that he is withholding from you, it's all too easy to become a bit jaded, a bit disappointed and frustrated with God, right? I've been praying for this for ages. What are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? This is a good thing. And I've been asking for it. The Bi doesn't the Bible say, ask and you receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you? I've been doing those things. Nothing. Well, if that's you and, and if that's sort of the space you're living in at the moment, let, let me just say this. Look, you have to understand, you have to keep in mind that God knows what's best for you. If we truly believe, if we truly believe that God is God, 
who loves his people and causes them to come into relationship with himself, even though it doesn't make any sense that he hasn't granted your request, you can rest in his wisdom. He created you, he loves you, and he knows exactly what you need when you need it. Now, it's important for dads to tell their kids no. My four-year-old, the last few mornings, has asked me, Dad, can I have ice cream for breakfast? <laughs> and obviously my answer is, no, you can't, you can't have ice cream for breakfast. Now, why, why, why do I say that? It's because I'm just a nasty tyrant of a dad. No, I, I love her, right? I, I know what's best for her. Now, in the same way, it's important for us to realize that it's for our good, ultimately, that God is the kind of father who will say no to us. Even when we don't understand why, he seems to be withholding something good. That's the type of trust and attitude we need to have in our prayer life. One that thanks God regardless of the circumstances. Give thanks, Paul says. Give thanks for the providence of God that's led you. Though you may at times have stumbled, you have never yet fallen beyond recovery. Give thanks to God for his discipline. Sometimes painful, but it is producing the fruit of righteousness and peace in your life. He is treating you like his beloved child, disciplining you, growing you. Give thanks to God for the gospel. He has given his son for you. Give thanks for the empty tomb. Give thanks for the victory of King Jesus that our enemy, though mighty, is defeated and Christ is Lord. Give thanks that he has never broken a single promise. Never give thanks. So our prayers are to be marked by consistency, by carefulness, and by cheerfulness, a, a giving of thanks. Now that's how we're to pray. But what are we to pray? What's the, the you know, Paul just doesn't say, hey, pray these things, here's some nice advice. No, 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 he, it, it gets a, a lot more narrow now to the what. Look at, and that comes in verses three and four. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, don't just pray randomly. Pray for me. And lest we forget, where is Paul writing this letter from? Prison. Look, if I was in prison and I was writing to you guys, Wyoming Church of Christ, you know what my prayer would be? Pray that God will get me the heck out of here. I'm not gonna last long in this prison. It's interesting though. He doesn't ask that the, prison, uh, that the prison door would be opened, but that a door for proclaiming the gospel would be opened. Isn't that amazing? 
his choice of words here are a bit striking as well. Do you, do you notice that? The mystery. See that? The mystery of Christ. He's already used that, remember, back in chapter 1, that, that phrase, the mystery of Christ, meaning something that was hidden in the Old Testament but is now made new and now disclosed in the new. Which is none other than the gospel, right? The good news made available to all who turn to Christ, regardless of your ethnicity, nationality, social economic background. Jesus is the centerpiece of this mystery because in him, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are made into one people of God. That's incredible. And that's why Paul says, look, Timothy and I could really use your prayers. Do you understand? When he, when he asks for that, this isn't just some sort of cheap sentiment. This isn't just sort of some Christianese jargon. Hope y'all pray, pray for me. This is real life or death sort of stuff. Eternal destinies hang in the balance. That's why he says, pray that God would open up a door that we can share the gospel. Oh, friends, I pray for the day when the prayer requests coming from this church sound more like this that our hearts would burn for the lost. You know, when, when people ask me, oh, um, how can I pray for you? I typically go to my own personal health or personal struggles, right? Oh, pray for this, pray for this. But what is Paul? What is he most concerned about? What drives him? It's the advancement of the gospel. And, if, and, and, and notice too, not just the advancement of the gospel, but Paul says, when I speak as I ought to speak, pray that I have clarity. I mean, stop and think about that for a second. Paul the apostle, the dude who wrote 13 letters in the Bible, says, can you pray that I don't stuff up my words when I try to, share, when I try to evangelize? Like, if the dude who wrote Bible needs prayer on cl gospel clarity, certainly we all do, <laughs> right? And, and that's why he says, look, when you interact with the lost, well, you need to be careful how you walk and how you talk. And that's where he comes in in the next few verses here. He says, Walk in wisdom. See that there? Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's interesting, he's concerned here, did you see that? With the way that we walk and the way that we talk. Walk is how we live our lives. Proverbs 6 describes the wicked man. And listen what the King James Version says about the wicked man in Proverbs 6. It says, he speaketh with his feet. You hear that? That's telling, right? He speaketh with his feet. Christians speak with their feet as well, by the way. That is, they speak about their faith by the way they conduct themselves. The way that they claim their taxes or not, the way that they treat their coworkers, the way that they spend their time, their money, their energy. 
That's why he says, be careful in the way that you walk, right, towards outsiders. And he says, making the best use of the time. Or maybe you have a translation that says, making the best use, uh, making the most of the opportunity or something like that. But it's interesting when you, when you hone in there for a second, because when he says making the best use of the time, um, that's, prob- that's actually, that's a good translation to, to translate it that way, because the time, it's, that's talking about an allocated or fixed season of time. Basically, having sovereignly bounded our lives with eternity, God knows both the beginning and the end of our times on earth. In other words, God is outside of time, correct? So because God is outside of time, he sees your whole lifespan. Right now, to us, it's only October, whatever it is, 2020. God is outside of all of that and sees your whole life. And so Paul says, make the best use of that short little window of time that you have. Be careful in the way that you walk, the way that you live, the way that you talk to outsiders. As the poem goes, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You get one life, friend. That's it. You don't get another chance at this. And so Paul says, making the best use of that little window of time and the way in which you do that is the way in which you live your life. The way that you conduct yourselves. Jonathan Edwards, when he was only 19 years old, wanted to have resolutions that would guide his whole life. So he made 70 of them, right? And in his fourth resolution, he said, I resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way that I possibly can. I resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way that I possibly can. What if that was just a, something we just let that just sink in each day for us? You know, how would that shape the way that we're acting towards outsiders? Interesting outsiders there too. Interesting language, isn't it? You have those that are inside that are not like literally inside these walls, but you have inside those who have turned from their sin, turned to Christ for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And, and Paul says, those are the people that are inside. Then you have people that are outside. And he says, those that are outside make the best use of the time, the way that you behave in front of them. You're, again, it's not like you're trying to sort of be a holy person by any means. It's you're pointing them to Christ, continually pointing them to the good news of the gospel that's found in Jesus alone. I mean, one way that we can make the best use of the time is, do you ever think during your lunch break or if, you're, if you take the train into work or whatever sphere, if you're Henry Kendall, God has you, remember, you know, there's that little window of time that God sees from all eternity, that, that right now, wherever, right now in October 2020, 
the people that you're rubbing shoulders with, God has providentially put you there. It's not just like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Here I am. I, it's not how life works. God has providentially put you right in the position you're at with the people that you know in your circle. So how are you using that to the glory of God in the most profitable way you possibly can, you see, to point people to the gospel? That's what Paul's talking about. And again, people are watching the way that you live. It matters. It matters the way that you talk. It matters, the, it, it matters what, what you desired. You, you know, when, <laughs> I've said this, I said this a dozen times, but I'd probably say it a dozen more. Whenever something is of tremendous value to you, whenever you treasure something because of its uniqueness or its power or its beauty, there is an inevitable longing that you draw others' attention to it so they too can share your high regard for it. When I, you know, Eden's born, I want everyone to love Eden like I do. And I'm constantly, you know, it's flowing out of me. Is, is that how Jesus is to you? Is he your all-consuming passion, your treasure, your joy? Do you delight in him? If it, if it how, how are you gonna answer that? Because if it's true, uh, don't tell, oh, yes, 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 we're in church. Yes, yes, yes. Is it? If it's not overflowing in your life and he's not a consuming passion, you might want to reconsider that statement. You might want to just, you might want to double check your confidence there. Because if he is, it's going to flow out naturally. Does that make sense? You, you, you want to point other peoples to what you desire and what you love. And if Christ is that, then that's, that's how it works. And, and walking with the Lord is not a burden, it's a delight. You love the Lord. So he says, make the best use of the time. I think, honestly, that's, that's a great translation. And then notice how we walk, and then notice how we talk. Do you see that? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be however you want it to be because God will have to forgive you because that's his job. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No. Let your speech, right? Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Salt's a preservative, right? They didn't have refrigerators back then. And so, so that why? Why? Gracious speech so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's an assumption there that people are asking you, right? How are you to answer someone? Well, no one's really asked me what's different about my life. Well, no one's really, no one has a clue that I'm a Christian. Why not? Well, I don't know. I guess I smell like them, look like them, talk like them, act like them. Okay, well, that's the problem. But, but if you're in Christ, you're different. And then people will ask, and then you'll have an answer. 
because the way that you talk is going to be different than the way the world talks. You see? It's, it's, it's very basic. And so the way that we make the best use of this time is the way that we walk and it's the conversations, it's, it's the way that we use our mouths, so to speak. And, and what does Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks, right? And so how are we engaging with those outside? How are we trying to have answers to their questions? How are we pushing ourselves to understand what the Bible says about issues and questions that they have? Are, are we just assuming they're just gonna, you know, guess that we're Christians somehow? Or are we just, you see what I'm saying? It, it matters how we walk, it matters how we talk. And if, remember this whole flow here? Paul's been doing this whole thing where he's, he's focused on this, since then you've been raised with Christ sort of language, remember? If you're a Christian, set your minds on things above. And then he says, if that's true, if that's true, it's going to impact the way that you live your life together as a church. It's going to impact the way that you, you live out your marriage, that you parent your kids. It's really, do you see how it's just, it's, you see how he just keeps broadening it? It's, it's gonna impact the way that you live your life and the way that you talk. That's pretty, all, that's pretty much every <laughs> zone of your life. But that's Christianity. And that's it. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Forever I would save his life, will lose it. Is that what you wanna do? You wanna follow the Lord? This is what it looks like, friend. Let's pray. Lord, it is... Uh, easy to talk about prayer and easy to even feel guilty about it, really, and, and not really do anything. Help us, Lord, to be a church that prays consistently, carefully, cheerfully. Lord, help us to be salt and light with our friends and our neighbors Lord, we want to be spirit-filled people who walk not according to this world and what everyone thinks is normal and just sort of adapt ourselves to it, but Lord, to be different. We pray that by your grace, you would do that in all of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you are a Christian and you identify with Jesus who lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father and died on the cross, physical death for sin, and you are believing on Jesus 
and believe that his death is vicarious for you. It's in your place. His life is lived in your place. That when he rose from the dead, you too are identifying with him through faith and saying, yes, I believe those things to be true. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe those things, then this is a time to celebrate that, to embrace that during a time of communion, to remember Jesus' body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. If you are not a Christian, this is not a time for you. This is a time for you to reflect and ask yourself, well, why aren't why I not a Christian? What? And to let these items pass by. But for those of you that are in Christ, this is a time to celebrate and to remember these truths, to be cheerful in our prayers, really. I hope that when you take, because we do it each week, but I hope that when you take those elements, it, this doesn't just become a, yeah, 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 and this is the time where my mind drifts, but you're actually just, you're focused in on Christ's work on your behalf and, and what that means, and you're really taking those things on. Jesus' presence is here in, in a particular special way when we gather as a church, when we have the word opened and when we're breaking bread together. And so um, I'd ask the helpers to come and distribute the bread or cracker and the juice. And when you get those items, go ahead and rip off all the bits and pieces, hold on to them, and we'll, um, we'll, take, the, uh, whole, we'll take it together as a church. Okay? So go ahead, Ross, take us away.